Longevity is the age-old human wish to live longer and be full of vitality is part of being human. In today's episode we will answer three key questions. How do sleep challenges impact our ability to grow and age well? How does sleep play a role in longevity? What are three times when melatonin can be effective and safe? Dr. Marcus Rani is a big believer of leveraging the power of digital biomarkers to hack the human operating system, priming it for a longer health span. A published best-selling author, keynote speaker, digital talk show host, and a public health commentator, he has been a World Economic Forum's global shaper and a senior fellow to the Atlantic Council. In 2021, he launched Human Edged with the aim of helping white-collar employees be the best version of themselves, health, brain and body, regardless of the challenges at the workplace. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Light Functional Medicine Practitioner, author and yogini and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Dr. M, such a pleasure to have you on the Sleep Whisperer podcast and we are here today to talk about longevity and sleep and longevity has been a topic that's always fascinated me because Ayurveda places so much emphasis on that word Um, and I know that you've focused a lot of your work in this area before we go into the topic of sleep and how it interplays with longevity um, do give us a little introduction to yourself and what got you prompted in looking into this field thank you very much for having me and uh, i hope all of our listeners have had a very pleasant uh, night's sleep before listening to this podcast uh, and hopefully some of the uh, the experiences that we can share today will help them have what I think is one of the best gifts you can give someone, which is a good night's sleep and uh, a good night's rest. So thanks so much for bringing this conversation to the forefront. Um, you know, I've, I've always been obsessed with biology. If one were to ask me what I do, I, I just respond and say I'm a student of, of the human body. Uh, I love understanding how we can uh, appreciate the physiology and psychology that makes us who we are. Uh, My career has allowed me to zig and zag in various directions, but the fundamental North Star has always been this idea of optimizing the body towards achieving a full, happy and long life, hopefully, uh, through that process. 
Um, the first phase was very research oriented. Uh, I spent time serving in the Royal Air Force. I had opportunities to conduct expeditions to various parts of the world, uh, wherein I spent time on Mount Everest in the Arctic. I worked at NASA on the space flight program, uh, and then of course serving with the uh, with the fighter pilots and, and 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 service professionals in the in the Air Force as well. Um, the second phase of my career was medicine as a trained physician working in the United Kingdom. Uh, and, um, and I became a little bit disenfranchised with that because this process of how we practice medicine is one which is fundamentally aligned towards disease and sick care. And for me and what I want to create and build in life it was that sort of loggerheads with this understanding and philosophy of optimizing and achieving one's best self. So it led me on this very diverse path over the last 10, 15 years, moving to India as well. And um, a few years ago, I founded a company by the name of Human Edge after the success of my book, which has done really well called At The Human Edge. And the whole idea and premise is how we can use biology and data to bring those two worlds together, the worlds of biology and technology, so that we can each live our best self, uh, happy, long, fulfilling, uh, hopefully one which is performance and longevity oriented as well. And we'll talk a little bit about your company at the end, but let's jump into how sleep and longevity impact each other. And maybe you could start us off by talking about how might sleep challenges themselves impact our ability to age or grow and how it affects longevity. Yeah, so I think the uh, the elephant in the room, and, and it's been nice that this appreciation has started to shift over the last few years, is that Sleep is not a weakness. Rest and recovery is critical from a performance perspective, whether it's the athletes that I work with, cricketers, uh, Olympians, etc., or whether it's the corporate athletes that I work with, whether the CEOs, executives, etc. Right? Sleep is fundamental to human health, human performance, and from a longevity perspective as well. So important, it, in fact, that Evolution being such a precise science over many generations, anything which is not advantageous is quickly weeded out from the organism. But sleep is something that we continue to enjoy, that we share across the animal kingdom. And now when we look at some of the plant-based studies, we're getting insights to suggest that plants themselves may have these periods of rest as well, which are critical for their growth as well. So hopefully everyone can, everyone can appreciate that whether they come into this podcast from a health perspective and a longevity perspective or from a human performance perspective, sleep is going to be critical from that perspective. Now, let's talk about the relationship between uh, sleep and health. Right? If an individual is sleep deprived for one or two nights, we start to see acute changes in their physiology and their psychology. Simple things like one's resting heart rate begins to become elevated. The amount of cortisol in your bloodstream begins to increase. Your heart rate variability, which is the parasympathetic nervous system controlling your stress response, starts to go down, i.e. your stress response starts to go up. So there are immediate physiological biomarkers which we can measure using simple techniques that show that the body is under stress, even from just one night of poor sleep and deprivation. On the mental side, an ability to remember facts, uh, to um, create new memories, 
to concentrate on a particular task, to focus on doing something, all of those also begin to be affected. So physical changes, mental changes, and then finally, let's talk about the emotional changes as well. The a human's ability to empathize, uh, the mirror neurons of our brain, to be able to recognize what's going on in the other person, and then compassionately deal with that situation goes down. Our ability to express and feel gratitude reduces. Uh, a number of our neurochemicals, including oxytocin and dopamine, et cetera, begin to get hindered as well. So a sleep deprivation acutely creates a physical change, a mental change, and an emotional change as well. And all of us would have experienced it, whether it's poor sleep and then trying to go to the gym in the morning, whether it's poor sleep and trying to write that complicated essay or report or client document, or whether it's poor sleep and just waking up feeling agitated, frustrated, and, and, and just not wanting to deal with the outside world, we've all experienced this anecdotally. Now let's look at what happens on a chronic perspective. So if you don't sleep subsequently for long and long periods of time, we begin to see alterations in your DNA, whether it's the length of your chromosomes and the cap at the end called the telomere, People who are sleep deprived chronically actually have shortened telomeres over a period of time. Whether it's the expression of certain genes, what we call epigenetics, that alters the types of genes which are being expressed by your genome, which affects your phenotype, which is your body's physical capacity. And this has consequences in your metabolic health, your propensity towards developing insulin resistance rises, which starts to develop diabetes uh, mellitus and all the spectrums of, of metabolic syndromes like dyslipidemia, hyperglycemia, arthro, uh, 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 um, cardiovascular atherosclerosis, fatty liver disease, et cetera. So that's one big consequence. The second big consequence is there's an accumulation of proteins, disentangled, uh, sorry, entangled proteins in various parts of the brain. Uh, and this starts to lay down amyloid plaques, which is the beginning of neurodegenerative disorders uh, like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease, etc. Uh, and then we, of course, have this heightened uh, risk towards personality disorders, mood, dif uh, mood disorders, um, uh, and, uh, and emotional uh, challenges with people as well. So any aspect of your life, physical, mental, and emotional, acute, medium-term, and long-term, they all get affected by the simple act of not sleeping as much. So I hope that gives our listeners a little bit of a flavor as to how broad this could potentially be. And absolutely. And of course, I don't want our listeners to only feel a sense of concern if they're not sleeping well as to all that might be impacted. So let's flip the side and just look at all the ways that having good sleep, prioritizing sleep have benefits on longevity and on how we age and maybe give them the positive side of things so that it encourages them then when we come to the takeaways. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's look at hormonal control. If you're, a, if you're a male and principally the main hormone there is testosterone, if you're a woman, of course, got estrogen, follicular stimulating hormone, leucine, uh, LSH as well. Um, so people who sleep better have more appropriate for their age levels of these different hormones. In fact, one of the common things that I often get with the male clients that I see um, CEOs and athletes is that they come with very low testosterone levels 
And one of the easiest ways of actually elevating that without even the need of uh, testosterone replacement or a precursor to testosterone is ensuring that they're sleeping well and changing their sleep routine, the quality and quantity, and that's that testosterone level begins to rise naturally. Uh, testosterone, of course, is important, not just from a libido perspective, but also from a muscle mass perspective, from a cardiovascular health perspective, from a memory perspective, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, to all our female listeners, the, the total concentration of testosterone in your body is higher than the total concentration of estrogen. So uh, people shouldn't think that testosterone is only important for men. Women equally require testosterone because it's a growth steroid which is really important for various aspects of health, vitality, uh, and longevity as well. Then let's look at people who are better trying to manage their metabolic disease. Again, folks who may have the beginnings of insulin resistance or maybe suffering from non-insulin dependent diabetes mellitus, uh, where they may be on medication or not. Again, one of the most effective ways of, of mitigating that disease process is actually by encouraging a person to sleep better. We change their fueling techniques, of course, by bringing more fat and more fiber, reducing the carbohydrate, particularly that nighttime meal for those two to three hours before they go to bed, so that the deep sleep component is really, really maximized. Deep sleep is the part, and maybe we'll talk about the phases of sleep later on, but deep sleep is the part of your sleep cycle where your physical body is restoring itself. And by doing these simple things, your body is better able to utilize the insulin which it has going through the system. Glucose is then moved from the bloodstream into the cells where it's very much needed and stored appropriately. And we begin to fix metabolic disease uh, uh, as well. And then lastly, for all the young folks who might be listening, who might be uh, revising for their exams or working towards something really important from a career perspective, like giving an important presentation, Again, ensuring that the 72 hours prior to that big event, you spend focused on ensuring you get a good quality and quantity of sleep. And in this instance, it's the REM component, the rapid eye movement phase, which is really, really important for the hippocampus growth. The hippocampus is part of the brain responsible for memory aggregation and sorting. And it's in this component, when you maximize REM sleep, that your body, you wake up more creative, more innovative, more ability to understand people, your ability to focus on a task extends and your body's, body's ability to remember items also increases. So whether it's your metabolic health, whether it's strength and vitality, or whether it's preparing for a big pitch or an exam, uh, sleep has a beautiful place to play in all of these different parameters of people. And I know you spoke a little bit about the phases of sleep. I'd love for us to go a little bit into that because while we have discussed it, I would like to look at it in the context of longevity and all that you spoke about. And I especially appreciated what you spoke about the youth and needing that sleep before preparing for something because um, most often that's not what's happening and that's the time everybody's cramming, staying up late into the night and uh, definitely impactful, but let's talk a little bit about phases of sleep and then we can look at some takeaways. Absolutely. So broadly speaking, there are four phases of sleep, uh, three phases which include uh, the, uh, the non-REM components and one phase which is the REM component. 
Uh, how do we know there are different phases? You could either go through expensive testing, which might happen in a sleep lab. And in some instances, your physician may recommend perhaps if you're snoring and trying to find out the impact of snoring on your sleep. Perhaps if you're suffering from what we call sleep apnea, which is a respiratory disorder, which can affect your cardiovascular health, blood pressure rises, heart rate begins to get affected as well. Uh, and we want to measure the different sleep phases, components of their, et cetera. So there are different ways of, or reasons why your physician may suggest that. We live in a world today where actually there are wearable devices which are commonly uh, accessible by all of us that we can get insights into our sleep. I happen to be wearing one on my left hand. A few years ago, my wife and I, we swapped our wedding bands for this. It's called the Aura Ring. Uh, it has 17 sensors, which is a one of the most advanced physiological mechanisms to measuring sleep. Uh, and it measures everything from body temperature, respiratory rate, oxygen saturations, heart rate, heart rate variability, et cetera, but also gives you a distribution of these four phases. There are bands you can wear on your wrist, like the Whoop band, there's of course the Fitbit, there's the Apple Watch, and there are many mobile apps that you can use on your simple mobile device as well, which if you keep near your bed, under your mattress, or using a mat which plugs in, or Bluetooth, can give you information about your sleep phases, right? So that's a little bit for anyone who might be interested in how they can collect data on the different phases of sleep. Now, to answer your question, there are two main uh, components. REM, which is where your eyes are rapidly darting from left to right, a rapid eye movement phase. And then three, which are the non-REM component phases. In that non-REM component, you have periods of time in the night where you spend awake. That's normal for all of us to spend some periods of time subconsciously awake, or if we have to wake up and use the bathroom uh, and the loo, uh, et cetera, more common as we age for men because of prostate size and women because of pelvic floor uh, weaknesses, especially after natural childbirth. So spending time awake is a normal occurrence for a lot of us. The next phase below that is what we call light sleep. Light sleep typically in a healthy individual makes up anywhere between 40 to 50% of our overall sleep. Right? And that's not worrying. That's, as I said, that's something which is normal across all of us. Uh, and then you have the two critical components of sleep. One is called REM and the other is non-REM. So non-REM, your body is completely catatonic, right? Your brain sends a signal to the rest of the body to completely paralyze every single muscle, skeletal muscle, except the important ones, which are smooth muscles and those responsible for res respiration, digestion, cardiovascular health, et cetera. This is, this is really important because your body is undergoing deep sleep, physiological repair of your bones, of your muscles, of your cardiovascular system as well. And then in the REM component, your brain is undergoing all of its benefit. Uh, whether, it's whether it's memory change, whether it's data processing, whether it's emotional repair, whether it's lymphatic fluid drainage, uh, whether it's the uh, uh, CSF fluid, which is changing and, and cleaning itself from the toxins built up during the day, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So your deep phase should be about 20 to 25% and your REM phase should be about 20 to 25%. So anyone using any of these wearable devices, this is basically the ratio, about 40 to 50% is light, 20 to 25% is deep, 20 to 25% is REM. The average human adult needs anywhere between seven to nine hours of sleep time. 
And this is really important because whilst we may spend seven to nine hours of time in bed, there is something called the sleep efficiency ratio, which is when you are in bed versus the time you're actually asleep, those two things are different. So numerator on top is the time you're actually asleep in these four phases. Denominator is the time you're in bed. And the typical human adult has an efficiency ratio about 80 to 90%. So if I'm spending seven and a half, eight hours in bed, my body is probably only getting six and a half to seven hours of actual sleep, which is hopefully distributed in these four phases. I'll just add one thing, uh, Dipti, if I may. These four phases are not equally distributed through the night. Your body preferentially, through an evolutionary mechanism of protection around the physical body, your body preferentially chooses to have deep sleep in the first half to 60% of the night. And then once that physical recovery happens, the REM component starts to take uh, precedence in the last uh, 30 to 40% of the night. The reason why this is so important to our listeners is if your bodies are only getting four and a half to five hours of sleep every day, you are doing yourself a disservice. You're, you may be getting enough of the physical recovery that you need, probably not, by the way, you'll start to see metabolic syndrome, uh, neurodegenerative disorders, cardiovascular disease, etc. But you're not getting enough of the REM component, which means your brain and your emotional self is not healing itself. So for all the people I work with from the creative ag agencies or CEOs who are preparing for a big quarterly earnings report, all the young folks that we spoke about preparing for exams, you need to make sure you're getting that REM component because that is where your brain and your emotional self is undergoing this, the healing. And that's why this data is really interesting because we're able to plot at the individual level how much time you're spending in each of these different phases, how that's changing to the different cycles of life and where we need to create what we call at Human Edge biohacks to start to change the levels and shift the patterns between deep versus REM uh, and the numbers, et cetera. Yeah. Beautifully put. I'm so glad you spoke about that. And in fact, you described the different ways we can track. And we actually did two extensive episodes, one with Pankaj Arora on sleep uh, diagnostics and another with Mohit from Ultra Human on tracking of sleep. Uh, but since we don't have too much time with you, I'd love to spend the rest of our time talking about some top, what would be a top three takeaways when you do notice that somebody has um, um, suboptimal sleep quality and this ratio is not quite where it is allowing them to repair well and age beautifully so what would be those top three takeaways you would advise for somebody absolutely so let's talk about the physical environment around you before and during your period of time at rest we live in a world where technology provides a great boon to us but it also fundamentally impacts our sleep negatively a, in terms of just being constantly connected and our brains just being wired from that perspective. And I won't talk too much about that because there are lots of content and materials on there. If we look at the biological effect of screens and technology, that's a fundamental challenge because our retina, so our eyes are part of our brain. It's an extension of our cerebral cortex. It, through the optic nerve, it connects directly to the visual cortex at the back in the posterior hemispheres. And as the retina receives light, it sends a signal to the brain that it's daytime. 
Um, as the light levels, the ambient light levels naturally decline, that begins to send a signal to the brain naturally that one must start preparing for sleep because it's time to get into our nocturnal mode and the secretion of melatonin starts to increase from the pineal gland. Unfortunately, because of our immersion in light, particularly blue uh, spectrum light and white spectrum light from these devices, the melatonin secretion starts to be impaired and our bodies don't receive the right signals to go to bed. So there are two common things, easy things that you can do. The first is to change the lights in your house such that after 7 p.m., you have a different set of lights that go on, which are 50% wattage than the rest of the lights that you require. This is important because the low lux, the low light luminescence around you will allow melatonin levels to slowly increase and give you enough light to do your day-to-day -day tasks, but uh, not in, uh, enough to uh, impact the effects of melatonin. The second, for people who have to be on the computers, either they're working a night shift or they've got a late night call, and I often have this. There are these simple eyewear glasses like the one I have here, right? With a yellow lens that you can wear. The yellow lens blocks, it's a polarizing lens. It blocks the blue uh, wavelength light, which is being emitted by screens. And if you wear them after 7 p.m., you're allowing the melatonin levels to stay as optimal as, as possible. So light plays an important facet. And then when you're going to sleep, you should ensure your room is a very, very dark environment. Get rid of all the little LED, LEDs and lights. Cover them up with black tape. Wear an eye mask if you need to as well. The last thing I'll mention about the physical environment before talking about the internal environment is temperature. Our bodies have an optimal temperature band where deep sleep is maximized. And that for most of us is between 18 to 19 degrees Celsius or for people living transatlantically who prefer um, um, uh, Fahrenheit, that's about 60 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit, right? So in that temperature band, your physical body uh, is, being, uh, uh, is receiving its most optimal deep sleep component. So you can reduce the temperature of your room to maximize that component. So lots of stuff you can do in your physical environment. Let's talk about the internal environment. My favorite is magnesium. The best salt for magnesium is called magnesium uh, bisglycinate. Uh, this 400 to 500 milligrams of magnesium bisglycinate taken uh, at 8 p.m., so roughly two hours before you want to go to bed, uh, is a very powerful supplement, micronutrient required from a sleep physiological perspective. And immediately you will start to see many benefits across your health. The other thing that people sometimes use a lot of, I'm not a big fan of this, by the way, is melatonin. I don't like melatonin because melatonin is endogenously created. I, it's, it's created by your body. The minute you start sending it from the outside, it interferes with your endogenous production. You start to develop a dependency and the levels required, so the thresholds for creating action begins to be reduced. However, there are three instances where melatonin is an important and powerful mechanism. Number one is if you're transatlantically or, or flying between five to six time zones and you have to be prepared for work almost immediately. In that instance, melatonin can be a very powerful biohack to shift your circadian clock and get you sleeping faster when you're trying to go to sleep. The second is for my athletes and my weekend warriors, like people who are training for a marathon, a triathlon, a big physical event, event and they want to ensure 
that they're getting a really good amount of deep sleep in the weeks uh, or days preceding that big event to optimize the physical recovery. In those instances, I might use a low dose, so three to five milligrams of, of uh, melatonin. In the, in the jet lag folks, I'll probably use six to eight milligrams of melatonin. So these are the two. And the third is from an immunity perspective. Melatonin has got a benefit on the immune system. We used it very effectively for people in long COVID and coming out of COVID syndrome or any major viral illness. The dosage is much lower, one to three milligrams of, of melatonin, probably for about two to three weeks just to optimize the immune system, but get them off immediately after that. So that's how I would use melatonin in those instances. So external environment, uh, internal environment. And the last thing I'll mention about the internal environment is the power of the brain. I'm a big, big believer that we are a whole. Our body and brain are not two distinct entities they make up who we are as human beings. And so if you want to have a, a good night's sleep, one of the best ways of doing so is that last few minutes before you go to bed, spend in gratitude. Uh, gratitude shifts your mental energy towards the positive state of mind. And the biohack that I do every evening is every night when I brush my teeth, which is one of the last acts that I do before I go to bed, as I'm brushing my teeth for those two minutes to keep my dentist happy and my my oral flora happy, I remember all the great things that have happened to me in the day, the big and the small. It doesn't matter what they are, but that puts me in this lovely state of mind and, uh, and helps me get a good night's sleep. Lovely, Dr. M. And uh, I think I'd like you to just maybe leave us with talking a little bit about what happens at your company, what, what can people expect, and of course, where to find you. Thank you so much. So Human Edge, as I was mentioning, is a biology and technology company to help all of us live a life longer, happier, and more fuller. Uh, we are just in the process of launching a mobile app. The mobile app will be available globally uh, at the end of March. Uh, people can find more about us on our website, which is humanedge.co.co. Uh, we principally work with large corporations around the world. We have over 50 MNC partners in 14 countries. Uh, where we work for with them for the employees to optimize the health, longevity, and performance of the workforce. But using biology through wearable data, blood-based data, simple questionnaires, having excellent faculty and coaches, and then, of course, now through our soon-to-be uh, available mobile app. Uh, I'm very active on social media, particularly LinkedIn and on Instagram. My handle is at DocM and then my surname, R-A-N-N-E-Y. Uh, same on LinkedIn at DocM, uh, R-A-N-N-E-Y. And my book, which I'm really, really grateful for all the people that have supported us. We've become a bestseller. We're going into a second edition print uh, in a few months' time. The book is called At the Human Edge, and it's available globally now on Amazon and on Audible uh, as well. Thank you. It was such a pleasure having this conversation with you and uh, thank you for sharing your time and your wisdom as well. Thank you so much for having me. Take care, everyone. In this episode, Dr. M took us through science-based connections between sleep and longevity. Let me share my perspective to end the show. In ancient Eastern wisdom, Longevity has always been a core principle. The study of rasa is considered to be the study of longevity. 
optimal aging has a lot to do with how we preserve moisture in our body as we start to age post 50 it is considered a vata time of life where everything in our body dries up we can combat this in so many ways i speak extensively about these on my instagram page you can follow me at oha health have a great day This podcast is intended to provide helpful and informative material on the subject matter covered in the episodes. The podcast is not acting in the capacity of a doctor or a registered dietitian and is not rendering any professional healthcare or medical service. The information in the podcast is not intended as a substitute for medical advice or services or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. The advice and tools contained herein may not be suitable for your situation. Any medical questions regarding contraindications and cautions or any questions on whether or not to proceed with any practices provided in the show should be referred to qualified health professionals before adopting the same the podcast specifically disclaims any responsibility for any liability loss risk personal or otherwise which may be incurred as a direct or indirect consequence of the use of information from this podcast or the application adoption of any of the information provided